Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. I'm Steve from Pixels for Breakfast, joined as always by my developer co-host Blue. How you doing, Blue? I'm I'm doing well. I'm sad that I caused an episode to go last last week. And I yeah, so basically we, we recorded probably the best episode we've ever recorded. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It went for an hour and a half. Yeah. Amazing then, episode. Uh, Pulitzer Blues, Award winning. Yeah, Blue's microphone decided not to cooperate. Um, so no, 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 no. Let, let, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Blue's a moron. And it was it was <laughs> early. And I didn't... I wasn't as diligent with my checks as I normally was. So that's yeah, on. so it's we've been away experience. for a little while. But it's okay because the news kept coming. So I'm sure you kept up with the news while we were gone. But we're here to talk about a week and a half worth of news right now. We're going to kick things off with something that quite a few people will be very excited about. Uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. There's been rumors swirling around that a remake has been in the works for quite some time. And Jason Schreier, Scoops Schreier over at Bloomberg, has uh, revealed detail on the MinMax podcast, which if you don't listen to, you should go check it out. It's much better than this one. Uh, that uh, Aspire are working on that alongside EA. Uh, this actually makes a lot of sense because Aspire have done a lot of the Star Wars ports. They just did the Republic Commando uh, re- remaster, I guess you would call that. Um, they did the Jedi Knight series on Switch, and they also did the iOS version of Knights of the Old Republic, which apparently is, like, one of the better ways to play that game these days. Mm. Um, I started playing Knights of the Old Republic a long, long time ago, but it was long after its release, and I was like, wow, this is actually, like, really mature and interesting for a Star Wars game, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a little bit too old for me to really, like, it was... That issue, you know, how older games on modern PCs, sometimes just there's too much jank. I was running into that. So I never got a chance to finish it, but now might be the time to head back, I think. My mind is blown because of the way that company name obviously should be pronounced. Because <laughs> yeah, in my head, right? so it's, it's spelled A-S-P-Y-R. And my head, I was going, Asper, what's Asper? Aspire? That makes mm. so much more sense. Yes, Aspire. Um, there is no date on this, but we do know that it's uh, just happening. Um, so, yeah. Uh, moving on, Microsoft has ditched Xbox Live Gold in uh, relation to free-to-play multiplayer starting today. Was it today? Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been sort of happening like in progress for a little while now. Um, when Microsoft just a few months ago, which we spoke about on the podcast, were updating yep. all their pricing points. Uh, So as of uh, this week, you no longer need Xbox Live Gold to play the free-to-play stuff. So all of the people who want to play Fortnite and Apex and all of those games uh, can do so for free. Mm -hmm. Um, This brings them in line with, you know, Nintendo and Sony who have removed those requirements um, for quite some time now. It's one area that Microsoft definitely was lagging in, um, but has been rectified. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Speaking now, of Apex. speaking of free to play, yeah, and Apex. Apex has hit a hundred million players. Now that's pretty damn good, um, considering. I this, thought it was stagnating. Yeah, to be like you kind of never hear about it, but yeah. the people who are like, if anyone in our community wants to play Apex, hit me up because I really love that game, but I don't like playing it alone. Mm. Uh, but no one ever really wants to play it with me. Yeah, um, la- last I heard, that number was forty million. Yeah, so, I think it was 40, 50 yeah, million. Was, yeah. yeah, that was a while ago. And obviously but, it's grown. Um, and yeah. another one that has grown alongside it, Call of Duty Warzone, which 
so I've heard that Apex uh, feels the best, and I've heard that if you want like frenetic, yeah. COD so Warzone COD Warzone was another one that I feel like had stagnated because people just aren't talking about it the way they used to. Mm. Um, but it also same week hit a hundred million players. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting to see just the contrast of of these two series. Like it took Apex longer, but Apex also just came out of nowhere. They literally yep. announced it was coming and released it on the same day. It even though Titanfall is well known, it's still not. I I wouldn't even call it a triple A class yeah. title. Ti- Titanfall, even though it is, <laughs> Titanfall feels like an indie triple A in terms of it has triple A budget and production quality. But like its recognition is for the people who play shooters, it's it's up there. You know, it's one of the gold standards for how to move and shoot and gun feel, uh, multiplayer feeling, and it's I think best in its class in my opinion. Um, without having yeah, spent I think a lot so of time. Um, and it, it was very unfortunate that I don't think it ever... Like, even now, I don't think it Titanfall 2 has the recognition it deserves for no. its amazing single-player campaign and st- continuously solid multiplayer, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm really glad that the franchise got Apex Legends as a, as a thing so that it doesn't mm. die. It, it's worrying that they may never go back to the Titanfall, you know, line. But yeah. we'll see what There's the future been... holds. There's been slowly but surely more of the Titanfall stuff creeping into Apex. Yeah. Like, there are rumors swirling around that there's yeah. going to be quite an important crossover. Also, I think Zampella just recently over at Respawn was sort of teasing a bit of potential Titanfall 3, but mm. with Apex flavor. So, um, to see. anyway, what I, what I was getting at, we definitely went on a tangent there, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see that game sort of just tick along slowly. Yep. And then Call of Duty off the back of like the most popular shooter in mainstream success uh hitting those numbers in half the time Mm. but just as popular which is kind of interesting to see it really goes to show that um market uh like actions you know uh, consumer actions aren't reflected by reporting in a lot of cases Mm -mm. what's one of the most uh popular uh and successful fighting game franchises it's not street fighter it's not like um tekken like those are up there and street fighter is definitely amazing but like in in the u.s it's honestly netherrealm studios is mortal kombat you know like and mortal kombat doesn't get tournament um scene as as big and and prominent so whatever you see in the news and whatever people are vocal about isn't necessarily always what's like the most played and watched and stuff like that and that's i think the kind of niche where yeah Apex it's and it's really interesting sits. um just to see these two behemoths and like being here in in japan like I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I thought for sure Fortnite would be the one just because mm. of the way it looks and its accessibility. Like yeah. that to me screams Japanese market. And then I get here and Apex posters are plastered everywhere around the city. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, shooters are not very big in Japan. And yep. now being here, I'm seeing that's changing it rapidly. Mm. Um, but B, like Apex, like I'm not seeing posters for Apex in Australia or anywhere. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and then like, ha- though, having said that, uh, the few Japanese friends that I have here, they all are Warzone addicts. They play only Warzone. Like, they'll stay up till four in the morning playing Warzone. Um, so it is also very, very popular here, which is kind of crazy. Call of Duty has a weird to, cult following. Yeah, it would that. be really interesting, I think, for me to see the demographics in terms of countries for yeah. these two games. Because I bet they are very different. Yes, yes, in a, in absolutely, a very way. absolutely. Um, Call of Duty is uh, distributed by e, uh, Square. I Enix don't know, Japan, right? That, 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 it's mm. one of those. Uh, it's either Call of Duty or Battlefield. I, I'm pretty sure it's Call of Duty. That um, 
it, it struck me as super interesting that the way they got into Japan was via, if I'm not mistaken, a big publisher, which I think was yeah, Enix. Yeah, interesting. Because we, um, we worked on... Um, well, I can't talk about that. But anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. But there was a story here also about Call of Duty Warzone uh, that mm-hmm. it has nuked its map. Um, mm. So they're running a so- limited time mode called The Destruction of Verdansk Part 1, which yeah. replaced all other ways to play the game. It only lasted for a few hours, mm. which then, of course, caused major server issues and queuing yeah. And, yeah. and crashes. Um, but we, we thought this was interesting because, like, there's also, like, this mode uh, where there's, like, alien zombie creature looking things um running around the map and it's kind of interesting but blue you wanted to bring it up because you think that uh this is kind of a trend that we've seen fortnite really kick off and it's kind of exciting yeah and when i mentioned fortnite you you brought up cataclysm in world of warcraft that really made it popular to begin with which is just hey this this zone this map that you know so well what if we flipped it on its head and obviously cataclysm was a major expansion so it makes a lot of sense in that in that scope right but even back then that made people really excited oh i can re-explore the barons or lordaeron um but like post cataclysm what's it gonna look like and i think that the next step from that which we've seen you know the natural progression is yeah let's try to do that more frequently and fortnite currently as far as i'm aware does like similar things at a uh, seasonal level so does apex apex also has a lot of like map changes at a seasonal level and um you know now warzone definitely has uh, a big event going on as well and it's this rolling storyline for the maps that people play on that you know that you can almost kind of feel like oh i log on this week and now i'm feeling the next part of the story i log on next week and we'll see what happens then um and yeah there's a small storyline with the warzone one the zombies that are being held in check well they can't hold them in check anymore so they're just going to nuke verdansk that's cool i like that um and i think that service games having this rolling story mode built into the map as opposed to yeah just like it's walls it's of text. really, that's really interesting cool. right like i haven't played PUBG in a very long time but their their option was i guess the the logical one i would say in mm-hmm. Well, to offer a choice, we're just going to add new maps. Mm. And they made new maps, and yep. each map had a theme, and it's a different location. Yep, and, which is cool. And, you know, this one's vertical, and this one's in the snow, and yep. that brings challenges with it and changes the way that you play. And I think Splatoon had a really good model of this, where it's like, okay, today we have these two maps, yep. and then we're going to switch two maps. And I think that's really interesting, because while it can be frustrating to, well, I just want to cycle through, it makes you really study and appreciate and learn those areas mm. with a game like and i know that apex has two maps now and cod technically does have other maps for its other modes but mm. largely they have been one map games for you know over a year now you get really attached and you learn the muscle memory and the the map awareness on those sorts of games is so much higher than most other games right because yep. you've just spent so much time there and then to have them yeah just do this and it completely changes the geography or where things are like that's actually I feel like that's more impactful as a player if you're really into these games. You you you're actually using the yeah attachment. I think that's the best word. The um yeah the immersion <laughs> into the world. Um, yeah. Um. So yeah, it's cool. And as you said, Fortnite definitely popularized this, particularly for the battle royale genre. And I hope that um more games in this space start to do that a little bit more. Yeah. Service games can like start thinking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, speaking of really cool, Spiritfarer is a really amazing indie game radar. according to everyone. Yes, yeah, on I, my radar. I haven't, yeah, I haven't played it. I'm not good with games that deal with death. 
mm. but everyone yeah. seems to love it and thankfully it sell it has sold 500,000 over 500,000 copies which is definitely no small feat that is it's definitely a big so milestone so big for an indie company and I, and I will say Spiritfarer is starting to push the double A barrier but I yeah think definitely it's still um, and they're releasing a free update uh, which is called the Lily update which adds a new part of the story and that is coming for free to all of Spiritfarer's platforms mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch PC PlayStation Stadia <laughs> Stadia and Xbox um, <laughs> so that's that's coming out but super always excited to see indie studios uh, hit it out of the park mm-hmm. um, now Maybe not hitting it out of the park, but interesting uh, news here that Double Fine has confirmed that Psychonauts 2 has uh, basically been completed. It's playable and will be launching this year. Yeah. It it sounds like it's currently only um, publisher pressure that's keeping the news quiet and they're waiting for yeah. the right time and the studio is very ready to jump on it, which is not the state it has been. Yeah. Know. For, exactly. For years so years. Psychonauts 2 was announced in 2015 and it raised over $3 million via uh, FIG, the crowdfunding platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was supposed to be launched in 2018, but they pushed it back by a year. And then in mm-hmm. 2019, they pushed it back again to 2020. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, they pushed it back again to 2021. I think we might this have is a talked theme. about it that last one. Yeah, I think so. And this is a theme mm-hmm. for Double Fine. Like yeah. all of their bigger titles always get pushed back. It's just the way that that studio works. And I wish they would learn to deal with just, that. Just, yeah, just see, <laughs> the thing is that everyone's fine with them taking the amount of time it takes. Just don't tell yeah. us it's going to be early when it's, it's not, It's this right? interesting thing, right, where Double Fine have been so open and transparent after yeah. that documentary and during that documentary that we get to see, like, it's almost like looking in and be like, how could you not see that? But, like, that's easy to say when we have so much access to them. You literally, um, yeah, you don't see it in the pipeline. Yeah. So, just... obviously, they've been bought by Microsoft since then. Um, so, they are officially a Microsoft studio now. And, yeah, it will be coming out. This year, it is coming to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and of course the new Xboxes via PC, uh, via Game Pass, and also on PC. Um, but I was going to... I have a little bit of a, a weird story about this game. Please share. Um, so I was in uh, San Francisco in 2015, which, wow, that's so long ago now, um, for the PlayStation Experience event they did there. Um, I was there exhibiting for Surprise Attack, uh, and I actually... Have the chance to catch up with um oh, I can't remember the name of the studio. They made Duskers. Uh Duskers was a really popular indie game for a hot minute there. Okay. I'm gonna look up the studio name now because I feel bad. Misfits Attic is the name of the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh and the very first indie game I ever reviewed as a journalist was a virus named Tom, which was made by uh Misfits Attic. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh the guy, like we sort of stayed in touch over the years because I did an interview with him. And uh, I messaged him because I knew he was in San Francisco. He's like, hey, you should come to the office. And it turns out Double Fine actually had like an indie incubator in the back half of their office. Right. They used to like just rent out these cubicles that indie devs who didn't, who couldn't afford an office would just pay a small fee and they would work there, right? So like he gives me the address and I rock up. I'm like, I know this building. Like this looks really familiar. How would I know this building? And then I walk inside and I realize that I know this building because it's been in this documentary I've been watching about Double Fine for the yep. last six months. And I'm like, wow, this is super weird. And like, I'm seeing their office and I, I go meet Tim from Misfits Attic and we're hanging out and just having a few drinks. 
And then um, there was a party going on inside Double Fine, right? So he's like, oh, let's just go. Like, we always just hang out. Uh, and I go in there and there's all this noise and there's people crowded around that in the room where they have all the meetings in that documentary. And I walk in with Tim and there's champagne bottles being popped and we look on the TV screen and on the TV screen is Tim Schafer at the Game Awards or whatever it was announcing <laughs> that Psychonauts 2 is a thing that's coming. Oh, wow, <laughs> that's like, crazy. It was, it was wild because like Double Fine are one of my favorite studios. So I was definitely mm. like a kid in a candy shop. Um, so yeah, I hope it's good. Like Psychonauts had definitely had its flaws, but... Like every Double Fine game, it's never perfect, but I, I love that they take big swings and do the strange um, sort of aesthetic and, and story styles and stuff. So yep. I'm sure I'll love it, even if it's bad. Speaking of bad, PlayStation. Oh, oh that's not fair. A- low blow, oh, low blow. So uh, I can't remember if we actually spoke about it on an episode because it was probably on the one that we No, it was scrapped. last week. Yeah. yeah. So PlayStation made the decision that they were shutting down the PlayStation 3 and Vita digital stores. Uh, they're going to shut them down later this year. Um, 2nd of July was when they were going to shut it down and the internet went crazy. Mm. Um, I kind of understand, but I kind of also don't. Um, but basically, the the thing is, like, while the PS3 is definitely long in the tooth there, the Vita's mm. not that old and still very popular in lots of places. Yep. And a lot of games were digital only, right? Like this is the yeah. era, even PlayStation 3, where indie games started coming out digital only. And, I mean, yeah, you know, Vita, Vita was marketed as a digital first console. Yeah. Um, now, they did say that you would still be able to download your purchases, but no more purchases could be made. And then mm. that opens up a can of worms in terms of A, game preservation, and then B, just trust in digital storefronts right like we haven't had a major storefront outside of the wii uh which when that went down i don't remember this uh outcry but anyway there was some um, but not yeah. not to this extent i think a lot of people owned physical copies of yeah their games, yeah there's definitely honest. a lot less of the indie stuff coming out mm. digitally on those platforms but anyway it does you know really start to be like yeah we could lose access to this stuff at any moment um since then Jim Ryan, CEO, who has been uh, labeled or quoted many times as not caring about the old games and why would anyone want to play that, uh, has issued a statement via the PlayStation blog. The title, I'm just going to read it because it's a very short post. Players will be able to continue to purchase games on PS3 and PS Vita. Snappy title. Uh, Recently, we notified players that PlayStation Store for PS3 and PS Vita devices was planned to end this summer. Upon further reflection, however, it's clear that we made the wrong decision here. So today, I'm happy to say that we'll be keeping the PlayStation Store operational for PS3 and PS Vita devices. PSP commerce functionality will retire on July 2nd, 2021 as planned. When we initially came to the decision to end purchasing support for PS3 and PS Vita, it was born out of a number of factors, including commerce support challenges for older devices and the ability for us to focus more on our resources on newer devices where a majority of our gamers are playing on. We see now that many of you are incredibly passionate about being able to continue purchasing classic games on PS3 and PS Vita for this foreseeable future, so I'm glad we were able to find a solution to continue operations. I'm glad we were able to see a solution. Like, what, just not shutting it down? That was a solution? <laughs> no, okay, so, right. On their side of things, let me play devil's advocate here. It uh-huh. costs resources to keep something like this running. Oh, absolutely. Just hiring people. I'm, I'm to definitely keep not, it running, right? not discounting that. Yeah. So, what I think they mean is, eh, we shuffled some numbers around, and obviously we make enough money to keep this running. I don't think this is going to cost them too much in the long run or even the short term, to be honest. Um, 
but I don't know. I think that maybe what they should have done, honestly, if I was like in their meetings, right, what I would have said is just extend when you're going to shut it down. Like do what we're, what you're planning to do exactly now, but do say that, yeah, we're planning to shut it down in like two and a half years or whatever. Give yeah. people time yeah, exactly. to get the preservation out there, right? Because it doesn't make sense. No, you don't own rights to these games forever. Lest you forget, you don't own games on Steam. You rent them. Yeah, And that's a nice convenient thing that people forget. That's the thing that I think why I don't really get the outrage. Because you should understand what you're buying into. Now, am I saying it's right? Absolutely not. Yeah. But yeah, you don't own anything that you buy digitally. It's that simple. If you want to own the thing, go to GOG. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what you have to do. Right? And, 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 and when you go to GOG, download it. Like Yeah, exactly. While it's on don't. GOG, you don't own it yet. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's this interesting thing, right, where Steam has built up that trust because it's been around forever. But, you know, what it does happen if away. Epic takes over and yeah. Steam is gone? And it can just go away. all of a sudden, you lose your 3,000 games that you have in your library. Yeah. So this was a, an article that didn't quite make it because I don't think it was super important. But hey, since you brought it up, there's like 50,000 games on Steam. And apparently if you own mm-hmm. like half of them, there used to be a problem and your Steam client wouldn't load properly. The, the threshold is oh, wow. around 25,000. And from what people can data mine, they estimate that there's a couple of hundred people of those who around the world who own like over 25,000 games. And this was a problem. Wow. Before. That's, that's nuts. weird. Right. So imagine that, imagine like 25,000 games worth of like, Oh, that can just disappear. Um, I, I think that the warning was a bit short, right. To say, six yeah, I think down that's the, the number one thing yeah. to be like, Hey, we're shutting it down in like three months. Like mm. that's a bit, yeah. Especially for people who are still using the, like the Vita every day for a lot of people still. Yeah. Like I still see them on the streets um, here in Japan. And and keep in mind, uh, the PlayStation Three, I believe, would still be used in certain countries the same way. So I don't know what has happened with it, but I remember like five years ago, it became a thing where that uh, a news story that circulated that yeah, Brazil has a flourishing first party PS Two market because that was the economy at that point. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I don't know where PS3s are still like super in use, but it makes sense somewhere it would be. Um. So, yeah, I do expect that this will be shut down eventually. Like and, and like if you're yeah. interested in preservation, take steps now. Don't yeah. like also if, if people are outraged that all these games aren't going to be played, go and play them now. This is your chance, right? Like. Make sure yeah. you, you put the time aside because being angry that a game is going to go away and then not doing anything when it stays. Yeah, it's, this, yeah, it's this weird thing where like, I think it's this cool. highlights an issue going forward because all of these consoles are definitely heading towards digital only and that's what the world is heading towards, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone's jumping up and down and burning down pitchforks when burning Netflix down removes their show. Forks? Yeah, I know. I got already halfway through the word, right? <laughs> you know, they're not yeah. running down the street with burning pitchforks when uh-huh, Netflix uh-huh, removes uh-huh. a show because yeah. you just expect that's how Netflix flicks works. Well, it has that's to how happen. this works, right? Yes. Um, yes. So does change need to happen? Yeah, but are they going to change? No, because mm. they get the money and they can do whatever they want until something else becomes the standard. This is the world that we live in. It's a learning process. Um, I suppose related to that, uh, since you brought up the money, it it was you know reported that the PlayStation Five currently is the fastest selling console in U.S. history within its first five months. Yeah, I mean maybe that's, that's because they're just funneling all of the consoles into America though, because that's you possible. cannot get one. You can, I even looked today. Yeah, 
It's the impossible. only one I could find here was secondhand on Amazon, and it was a hundred and one thousand yen, which is about twelve hundred Australian dollars, mm-hmm. which is just insane. And that's used. Um, and there was only one. There was only one in all of Japan available on Amazon. So, yeah. um, and even I think it was like two months ago they released like the second run, which of which there were only like a handful of consoles, and mm. there were police called and the sales cancelled because the store here in Tokyo there were people like pushing the counters back. Yeah, wild. And like in Japan that doesn't happen. People yep. stand in line very quietly. So yep. it's very yep. interesting. Yep. Like I don't know what the um stock uh stock is like in Australia, but. Yeah, definitely here it's not good. Oh well, it means that I don't feel bad for them keeping the stores running. They have the money. Yeah, they have the money to throw yeah. at us. So exactly. the The last bit of news here is that the Resident Evil Four VR port coming exclusively to the Oculus Quest Two uh, is gonna have a few changes for the game, including dual wielding. Obviously, they've made big changes because, like, I don't know, this is such a non-story. Like, hey, we've made Resident Evil 4 in VR, so of course there has to be design changes to make it work in VR, right? Like, there just has to be. There has um, to be. But, but still, it it's weird to think year. about. It is very weird to think about a Resident Evil game where you have dexterity. Yeah, right? I, I yeah. do wonder, yeah, how much movement is actually going to be involved or is mm. it just the you aim where you look kind of thing? Um, but yeah, obviously it's first person now because it's in VR not, and you have, mm-hmm. uh, like inventory and stuff uh, attached to your body. So you reholster and, and yeah. unholster and you can dual wield separate weapons. Um, I don't know. It looks cool. I just played Resident Evil 4 for the first time last year, mm. um, and enjoyed it. I can, it, it was frustrating and I feel like this version may fix most of my frustrations with it. So. If you're a Resident um, Evil fan and somehow missed out on this, do know that there was... So this was released as part of some of the updates that Capcom had um, last week where they talked about a bunch of their Resident Evil games, you know, including the latest Village demo, um, Reverse, their uh, multiplayer Resident Evil, got some new information out about that as well. All of that was fairly, like, run-of-the-mill, so we didn't feel like it was worth necessarily bringing up. Yeah, yet, absolutely. But, but do know that that info is just... out there. Yeah, like... rushing through the stories this week <laughs> because we had so much to catch up on. Yeah. But Blue, yeah, yeah. take us through your trash corner. My trash corner. Uh sad news, sad news. Um Jeff Kaplan, the director of Overwatch, and honestly one of the faces of Overwatch in my opinion. So I don't know how much this is true for um you know the the regular Overwatch player, but Jeff Kaplan's name gets invoked a lot. It, it's very similar to Reggie from Nintendo. <laughs> Or, yeah, um, totally, right? You know, like, yeah, Definitely he has that. And, and to be completely honest, the Overwatch team's approach to um, sharing developer insight changed the way I view, um, I, I considered the way developers should be sharing insight with players because it was mm-hmm. so transparent and honest. And very obviously, they don't tell you everything, but at any time it's possible, they do try to say, yeah, this is what we thought. And, you know, we walked back this thing or... This is what we tried out. Hey, it didn't work. There was just this level of honesty that's very hard to imagine the world without today for um for game development. I I won't attribute the increase in developer facing um like uh, events, you know, conferences, uh, videos to Overwatch, but I do think that they were a big part of you know what other studios could point at and say, hey, this is working. This is getting good attention. Let's let's do it this way as well. 
because it was around the time when Overwatch did it where the Nintendo Direct started to become popular, right? Like, it's been that long. Overwatch is a 2016 game. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, right? Like, you think about it. And it's it's unbelievable to me that today, um, one of the, you know, things that Capcom does with Street Fighter is it lets its director and, like, publish... And I don't remember what the other person was. Go on live on a thing, on a, on a video, and just talk about the game. That Masahiro Sakurai would talk about Smash directly to the camera, not through trailers and stuff. And I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Overwatch didn't influence that a bit, at least, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, uh, director Jeff Kaplan is leaving uh, Blizzard and, therefore, Overwatch. Um, and I, I believe another influential person which whose name doesn't get mentioned a lot is David Kim, who is um, one of the lead artists who was responsible for a lot of the aesthetic of Overwatch, as we know it also left at the same time. Um, it's probably easier at this point to just ask who hasn't left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, th- this isn't like, this isn't one of those like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to cry. But like, we- we've felt a lot of these departures from Blizzard right now. Um, so Jeff Kaplan right now, uh, Ben Brode a couple of years ago, Chris Metzen around that same time as well. Blizzard has lost a lot of its alumni uh, effectively, right? Jeff Kaplan has been with was with Blizzard yeah for not only have all years. the founders gone but now all of the like as, as the next saying, generation the, yeah yeah the the leadership mm-hmm. developers are yep. gone now too yep. like it's kind of interesting like I would not want to be at Blizzard because without there is such a you know um pedigree around that developer and mm. the rabid fan base and like, you can I'm only sure fail. Right? It feels like you can only fail. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm sure there yeah. are people that we don't know who have been there since the beginning still. But all of the public facing people that we all know who have worked on all the games and have been part of what has built that trust in that community is not there anymore. Mm. Like the next team has to step up and prove themselves and it does feel like they definitely are going to fail. But then you also have like the Diablo 2 remaster beta apparently mm-hmm. has gone down very very well, well which is surprising yeah. uh, that is yes. yeah diablo immortals just this morning i got a press release saying it's coming out in another second alpha phase and that actually yep. was reviewing quite well which you know we all know what happened at that stage show when it was announced um yep. so you know maybe they can rely on some of that you know goodwill on those franchises particularly diablo to get them through this period as they build mm-hmm. up but it's mm-hmm. definitely like when you have everyone leave, like I feel like every other week we're talking about someone big leaving Blizzard now. Um, and then you it's got weird. M- then you got Morheim starting no, up his new studio and yeah. like a bunch of Blizzard alumni going over there. Like it's definitely yeah. it looks like there's a bit of a fire going on. Well, okay. With that said, I I will in defense of them, um, you know, contribute that, uh, add that after Ben Brode left Hearthstone and Team Five, um, the team at blizzard team five themselves were able to sort of bounce back like it's not quite the same because you you don't have the same person anymore but like they carried on the same kind of charisma that that broad was bringing to their like public facing uh releases right their their gimmicky um cringy b-movie-esque um teasers and, and launch events that they broadcast they're still fun and a lot of that feels like the spirit of when Broad was involved. So it's there. Um, you know, like in Kaplan's leaving, they specifically name... I, I'm very sorry, I don't remember the name. But they specifically name his successor, who 
you don't do that unless you have faith in the culture. Yeah, it's it's a chance uh, and an important reminder that um, while it's very easy to distill a game to a person, it's mm, not it's just not. one person. No, it's right. Not. Now every game is very different. Like I feel like Kaplan is very instrumental into what Overwatch is. Just like Sakurai mm. is like the heart and soul of Smash. Like if he left yep. and someone took over Smash, oh, can you imagine? Work, can you imagine right? that? That would like, be insane. And yeah. for better or for worse, yeah. like can you imagine a Kojima game that Kojima is not Kojima? Like you know, there there, there are been a few. exceptions to that rule. Yeah, but for the most part, yeah. like while mm. there is a, there's always going to be a figurehead. Right, there always has to be a figurehead, and then you know, is can a game exist as as you're saying here, the spirit of the team that actually pulls mm. it together is you know the so. difference between, and you know that's just comes down to management style and the vision, yeah. and you know, time time the, will the tell. Project itself, like we're not part of the team. This isn't our problem to solve. Um, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I would Thank pay God. attention yeah. because this is a weird time for a director to leave. Right, it's not yeah. like we we're just past a big launch and it's stabilized. We are ramping up into Overwatch 2. I don't believe Overwatch 2 will even announce a release date until the next BlizzCon is how far yeah. away I think we are because our, our best estimates are next year, right? Yeah. They, they very clearly said that we are not ready to tell you when we're launching yet at BlizzCon this year uh, in, in a few more words than that, but yeah. that's effectively what they got to. So this is a this to me feels like a weird time for a director to leave. Uh, yeah. And that's the only reason also... this raises any kind of flags at all. Uh, normally I'd say, yeah, good for him. I hope he has something good on the horizon and that's why he's leaving. But but this I don't know. Nothing about this feels right um in terms of the game and where it's supposed to be for the next because Overwatch 2 has a lot pinned on it by Blizzard. It's it's a yeah. it's a moneymaker at that company now. And um Activision's been breathing down their neck. I don't understand why either. I cannot imagine Blizzard is an unprofitable arm for Activision. Yeah, um, maybe not as Activision profitable. Don't know any better. Yeah, it maybe not as profitable as the WoW heyday. Maybe because can you really compete with the WoW heyday, right? But mm. it, it's it's really bizarre to me that so much oversight is going into Blizzard right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very weird. Okay, well, that's the news for this week. And we're going to move on to a couple of questions from our community. If you do have a question for us, you can tweet Pixels Breakfast or you can join our Discord. And uh, there is a channel there called Podcast Questions. This first one comes from Jombi. Now, Jombi, we had a very long and rambly answer for your question last week. Um, so we're going to paraphrase that because we were, we were rambling in circles. Uh, but Jombi's question is... While trying new podcasts, I've noticed a growing trend with content creators recording video footage and or podcasts live on Twitch. I can only summarize that this is so they can get Twitch revenue while also making their content. This is more of a personal taste problem for me as I don't like the effect this can have on the flow of a podcast, especially when the editing doesn't cover for the moments where they're talking to chat and things like that. Uh, he'd be interested to know if either of us have noticed this ourselves and how we feel about this practice. Um, so I have noticed this quite a bit, uh, especially after the pandemic. And the I guess the gold standard of this that I would bring up um, would be Giant Bomb. And I know that's not unsurprising considering I'm a big fan, but they actually... Uh, started doing their podcast live when the pandemic started. And the main reason for that was because they didn't know what their schedules are going to be. And so much of their content is based around people being in the same room, playing games together, doing the podcast together mm. that they wanted to ensure that it was still like ensure listeners that it was still business as usual. Right. Mm. Um, 
They keep the interaction with chat, though, extremely low, usually not at all. The only time that they typically will even refer to the chat will be if they're, like, trying to think of a game name and someone in chat says it. Or they'll be like, oh, talking about this thing, maybe someone in chat knows that. And that's, it's very slight. Uh, I think what Jombie is referring to is when they're listening to a podcast and they're, like, having an actual conversation with chat, which kind of detracts from... I guess what people expect podcasts to be, which is a focused um, sort of yep. discussion, unlike this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but Blue, have you noticed uh, any of this in the content you consume? Yes and no. I don't tend to consume podcasts, specifically named as podcasts. Like a lot of stuff I consume ends up being a podcast wherein it's on the screen and I'm listening to what's going on, but I'm not necessarily like, watching it. Um, and I think it's just a matter of uh, perception, and this is the thing that I was trying to say last week, which I don't remember how I got here, but I ended <laughs> up at the conclusion of it might help you if you are experiencing this to just mentally relabel things because you are absolutely right. This is a weird thing to do, but it's not any less valid of a medium for inter- like for, for getting ideas and entertainment out there, if that makes sense. So if it doesn't make sense as a podcast, you don't think of it as a podcast, you know, like adjust the way you mentally perceive it. And I do think that'll help with um, what you're describing here, Jombie, which is just, yeah, it's not a podcast. But if I don't think of it as a podcast, even if they call it a podcast, you know, you consume it in this way or that way, then your expectations change. And I do think it's a, it's a matter of expectation here. Um, it, it It is probably to do with just making it easier to hit all of the different platforms because the almighty algorithm. Yeah. I also think it's this thing, right. Where you've got people like Harris Haller, um, stream alpha, alpha streaming or whatever his channel is. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you need to be doing like YouTube and Twitch. You also Mm -hmm. need to be doing your Instagram and your Twitter Mm -hmm. and your Mm -hmm. podcast. And like people like me who have full-time jobs and like a fiance. Yeah. That ain't a hobby no more. yeah, how can I do that? Like, that's yeah. part, and like, I'm learning Japanese, and like, that's a priority, which is why I've stopped streaming essentially, right? So, yeah. like, how can I do all of this? Well, I make one piece of content and just repurpose it a thousand times. Yeah. Now, that's something that I could do. I could download every Twitch stream I've ever done and put it up as a YouTube video, but mm. I wouldn't watch that myself. Like, I don't particularly like watching streams unless I am into the person streaming and I'm there to talk to the person. I'm not there, like, I don't watch. Mm replays or or re- vods or anything right yep. like that's just not the type of content i consume so i don't want to make that content right mm. so that's the that's the decision that i've made but a lot of other people be like i'm gonna download that and instead of editing it i'm just gonna upload it as it is to youtube and mm. oh well we had a funny conversation so i'm gonna like strip the audio out and put that out as a podcast mm. and, like that's not to talk down on anyone it's just mm. i can see how this is happening yeah. quite a lot uh, and, and to be clear, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, so because, it's personal taste, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. like to, to put it in context, I love that kind of stuff because that's a lot of how I play games. Is Mm-mm. So what I'm doing right now is I'm listening to RPGs and stuff and I'm not watching the screen because I'm playing Monster Hunter Rise yeah. on the other side. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's about I'm how I'm doing this with Final Fantasy X because yeah. the game... Uh, isn't the worst dialogue and the same <laughs> yeah, music it, playing for 40 hours it's not very so cerebral is it like yeah. so yeah. i put the tv on mute and i'll listen to a podcast while yeah I'm but yeah. typically i don't do that with games i i don't like playing games without the sound yeah without um, full immersion i know some yeah, people like that yeah for sure yeah. um but just quickly like we have actually talked about doing this show live before mm. um mm-hmm. and it's one thing where 
the way that Blue and I do this podcast, like how you're hearing us talk, this is actually how we talk when we play games together, not on a camera, mm. not. It's like we're re- recording a podcast and we're mm. always talking about design shit. Mm. And it's always to a point where it's actually almost um, draining in a way because it's always an intellectual, quote unquote, intellectual discussion mm. about I mean, there's a, bit, there's a bit more insult and there's a bit more interrupting each other, but yeah. Definitely. Like, we'll, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter what game we'll be playing. Like, we could be like, oh, let's just play this game for fun. And then we'll end up doing a dissertation on all of the problems with it, right? Yeah. Um, so we think doing a live version of this would take away from our flow of, of this podcast. Yeah. So we are debating and probably will try mainly just to see how it works. There is a Discord feature now where you can do a live channel where people can come and listen. Yeah, um, but they can't talk to you. Um, so we're actually going to maybe do that uh, sometime soon and then do like a little Q&A at the end that won't be part of the, the released episode, so to speak. Mm. Um, but that's the cool. way that would work for us because I also wouldn't want to do a stream where I'm not talking to the chat because that's the one thing that I do well on streams because I'm not good at games. I'm good at chatting to people <laughs> while dying in games. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on to Hot Rice's question. I would like to know what superstar journalist game dev Pixels for Breakfast and superstar journalist game dev Bluey, a.k.a. Blueberry, a.k.a. Love Beans, would like to see in a game right now. Perhaps what you would make if you had the time and money. What do you want to play right now? If a trailer came out and this game does this, you'd buy right away. I don't know if you have an answer for this, Blue, but I have an answer of what game I would like to make right now. So mm. I have been watching a lot of the um, forgotten tapes, like weird VCR, um, VHS, sorry, VHS videos that are just like weird, like self-help videos and, and mm. dating videos from like dating companies and stuff in the 80s. So I want to make a 1980s dating simulator that is essentially oh. a bunch of these videos and you need to, the the, the premise would be, right? Mm-hmm. Um you run a dating agency and the way that this dating agency works is you get a bunch of suitors, so to speak, send in tapes and you have a bunch of applicants who are looking for suitors who send in their, um, uh, like a profile sheet and your Uh job is to match them together. And then based on your successful matches, your studio can, uh, you know, um, improve. And like the, the conceit to make this work on a gameplay level is, you are the one producing the videos for the people making them. So like the upgrades would be, well, you get a fancy star wipe transition in your video uh, or whatever, right? right? right, right you right. get you get the, the 80s Miami background. Um, right, right, right. And like the idea of them not meeting uh, beforehand or them not seeing the video is it's your job through your 1980s version of an algorithm as the matchmaker to put them together. So it's kind of like this papers please sort of element to it as well where you have to remember what the person's looking for and then watch the video and make sure yeah. you match it up and stuff. That's the mm-hmm. game I want to make. I've been Weird. thinking about it for about three months. And I think That's, it's like uh, a blend of Papers, Please meets an FMV catching those 80 synthwave vibes. That's what I want. It, it's low-tech. Exactly. Exactly. That would, yeah. be the, that would be the pitch on itch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it would be like yeah, the matchmaker. That's the tagline. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that that's what I want to make right now. Oh, working so with FMVs wants... is super weird. Yeah, I like I to like I've even thought about how to make this work. Like you would have to partner with like a community college or something like that mm-hmm. that has like a drama department because yeah. there's no way you could pay like 20 actors like the rate to do that, but you yeah. could be like you can use this as a portfolio and we give you some money hmm. um to yeah. record like a really bad 80s style thing. 
Yeah. But then the question that you run into is, because I've watched quite a lot of these, like people talking about attitudes that are maybe not great because it was yeah, the 80s, right? Because it's and the 80s, so yeah. The question is, is it a commentary on that time? And within reason, we have some of that kind of to point out that, hey, this is not cool. Yeah, or, or do, do you we modernize for, the dialogue? Yeah, right? do we make it a modern sort of like alternate reality, which is I, probably where I would go? Yeah, 100%. I, I think I prefer the second one because then then you you give yourself more room to be smart about the yeah, kind of dialogue exactly that you have and, and make it a bit more tongue-in-cheek and like the game is not meant to be because like some of these videos you watch you're like what the hell how is this person a person right yeah in terms of attitude and and presentation and the things that they're saying totally like i don't want this game to be a mean sort of judgy game i want it to be more of a yeah. weird sort of social celebration of how just strange that time period was we want 80s um, aesthetic not 80s values yeah, exactly. What because 80s, it, because 80s values, values can stay fun. in the 80s, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it's meant to be fun and not yeah. mean, yeah. Um, but also tongue-in-cheek. And, That'd be yeah. neat. That'd uh, be super neat. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's what I got. Do you have anything that you would like to see in a game or a game that you would like to make? or One of the problems is that I have so many games I want to just play right now. Yeah. So, right. so it's really hard to think about what I want and what would immediately make me um, like jump on a game. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess, historically, what would make me jump on a game is like persona 5 i guess because <laughs> in both cases it was not it did not come out in a time where i had time in, in a period where i had time but the first persona 5 game came out like while i was writing my thesis and this one came out while it was relatively busy at work for five strikers mm-hmm. i mangled that sentence i'm so sorry um <laughs> just <laughs> mumbled the words and um i still made time for them anyway uh I have gone through various phases of I would love to make this game and a lot of them have changed over time and they're all mechanical concepts, not not theme concepts. Because right, right. that's how my brain works. Yeah. That's how my brain tends to work at least. So I don't know. But I can say, uh, if a trailer came out with, you know, this, what would it be? That I would like immediately buy in and then be mm-hmm. sad because I couldn't get anyone else to buy in. Honestly, it would be uh, something that has a a co-op feeling like the Man vs. Machine mode in TF2, mm-hmm. um, but with a bit more like long stakes, world-changing stuff like existed in Firefall. Um, oh, that would be where my brain go. went. Hey, I mean, you asked what, me, what, what you really want is a new Firefall. Firefall. I'd love a new Firefall. Yeah. I'd love a new Firefall. Like, uh, unabashedly unapologetically i'd love a new firefall i'd love for firefall to just be revived um to this day even though firefall like its beta was in like 2013 and it launched in 15 or whatever um to this day no game has done some of like of what firefalls um okay to be fair firefall launch didn't even do this because this this mechanic was only in beta where you could just lose territory and you'd have to work with the shard with your shard slash server to take it back in a way that was as dynamic as firefall was um the the feeling of it is still unlike anything else so seen, uh, do, do you imagining right like when when you're talking about this i'm imagining like a man versus machine where it's like a pve essentially mm. Um, PVE AI, if you will. And you're talking about longer stakes in that, like, you're fighting over territory and you're trying to get to locations and maybe the world is changing based Mm. on what's happening. Is that kind of what you're imagining in your head? Yeah, fighting back for territory. And it it can be, when I say longer stakes, it can be just a longer 
play session. It can be that the server resets every day or whatever because like it's really interesting and cool to have that fighting out. You know, I, I keep thinking back to that time when the server crashed in mm-hmm. Firefall and we logged back in and everything was taken. Like every <sighs> territory except one, the, the starting yeah. town was taken. It took us twenty. It took twenty minutes for the server to fight back everything, including taking back two separate towns. Yeah, like the, right. the town retaking events take a while. Um, so and it was really fun. When you're like, talking about yeah. taking back a territory, like you're not imagining like ticking down a counter like in Battlefield, right? Like how how does um, that work in your head? How does that work in my head? I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to sit down and like, yeah, prototype yeah. it. I'd have to one hundred percent sit down and prototype it. The way it worked in Firefall is that. Um, you basically had um, these uh, guard towers, right? And mm-hmm. they are when when you lose them, the enemy controls them. So you have to go in and kill everyone, and then start the take back counter. So at that point, it's just ticking down a counter. But you have to have enough firepower to push through um, like established fortifications first, and That's then cool. hold off like drop ships of enemies coming in and sending in reinforcements. And there's always that wave. Where the, I don't remember what they're called, but the effective dreadnoughts of them walk in and they're holding this Gatling gun that effectively fires rockets at Gatling gun speed at you. And you're just like, I can't, no one fights that head on. We like, we outmaneuver that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's very it fun. super cool. It's I'd very, buy that. very fun. I'd buy in with that. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, so the thing that's really fun as well is to feel like you have this tactical element to it, which is how do you take back a town? Because it's it's not just a guard tower, right? When you take back a guard tower, you get to expand your, like, not, um, in Fortnite terms, not the storm, right? Not not the yeah. not the wall of death. Uh, because that's that was in Firefall as well, <laughs> the wall <laughs> right. of death. Um, how do you push that back? And, well, you have to then fight into territories that had this, like, cannon relay that is able to push back the storm and you have to take those very similar to a guard tower. Uh, but then right. you also so, have to power them. Like you have to go and like ferry um, <clears throat> batteries and stuff to it from like, you know, randomized spawn locations and stuff like that to be able to push back the fog on the town, which you then have to fight through the town's defense and do that before your relay runs out of time. And I might be misremembering some of the details. It's been many years, but like that's what I remember having to do. And this was beta. <laughs> this was beta Firefall. Yeah, yeah, Firefall yeah. launch didn't have this functionality. This was deemed not worth that their time. Cool, like, it, it was mm, fun. It was very I, fun. I, do you ever play? Did you ever play Planet Side? Is that still around? Planet Side. I 2? don't know. I have not. Because I, I always I feel like I kind of feel like that's kind of in the same vein. Like there, mm. there seem to be a lot of this sort of probably not as good as this, but. Hey, hey to, to be honest, like so many good games with really, really good mechanics have just gone unnoticed. And I don't even want us to make something new and innovative. Bring back an amazing mechanic. Like uh, you mentioned Planetside, which makes me think of uh, the Capcom game Frozen Planet Frozen or Planet, something like Lost that. Planet? Lost Planet. Yeah, thank you. Lost Planet. Lost Planet has like amazing mechanics. Lost- <laughs> It's like I never played Lost Planet Two, but apparently Lost Planet Two is like sci-fi monster hunter with guns. Yeah, yeah, and, and it like, has wacky sequences with I'm like. I'm actually gonna check. Where, where you have to Steam? like. Yeah, I, I think Lost Planet Three is. There was a third. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I I heard bad things about it. I think I don't remember. I. Um, but like Lost Planet has like wacky sequences where you have a mech or not a mech and like. I saw this thing where someone was able 
to jump on a mech bad guy, stick a grenade on him and jump off as the grenade exploded. And that's like built into the game and people didn't even know that. Well, the people who were playing didn't even know you could do it at the time. And they played it like three or four times at that point. And, you know, there's there's a lot of gems out there that are at this point kind of just lost to time. Wow. So we Lost Planet that. 3 and Lost Planet 1 are on here, but Lost Planet 2, Lost Planet is two isn't. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Now Lost Planet 2 is a hard on my one. Place- yeah, I need to get on my PlayStation 3 and download it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, you still have it. So th- that's my very, very long-winded answer for um, what I Thanks want. for the questions, Br- Bring back folks. something cool. That was, yeah, that was, thanks for that the questions, good one. both of you. Yeah, so keep sending them in. I know Rawase dropped one in this morning, but that'll be for the next episode. I'm mm-hmm. trying to space them out so we have them more regularly. Mm. Um, so we're going to jump into the stuff that we played. I'll try not to spend too long on this stuff. Um a very surprising game that I played and finished in a single sitting, taz- well, single day. Tazomachi mm-hmm. Behind the Twilight, which is a Japanese-made game from a solo developer. Norcras mm-hmm. is his name. Uh, and he was an artist on Xenoblade Chronicles 2, The Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and uh, various Final Fantasy games. He broke off and has made his own 90s-style collectathon platformer set in an east asian world and it's pretty good blue is like pretty awesome um so it's basically uh you play as yukimo um it looks very much like breath of the wild very much that style um and basically some darkness pulses through and just makes the towns in the area uninhabitable uninhabitable uh and you have an airship that's damaged uh and you find there's this local tribe called nezu who are like these cats and um, they need help and you need your airship fixed. So the very convenient plot point is collect these lanterns, which are called Source of the Earth, um, re- reactivate, power up the uh, source trees in each town and the darkness will be lifted and then people can help you fix your airship. Um, more death fog. Yeah, more mm. death fog. It's always death fog, right? Um, yeah, and then thing. there you like just go into these towns and they're abandoned and they're like, pagodas everywhere and vending machine like very japanese meets china meets korea i I like the aesthetic so much yeah and very much like breath of the wild color palette and that sort of almost painterly feel to it um and you just run around and you collect a bunch of lanterns and you find them and then you power up these trees and um you run around some more and then you unlock some abilities like air dashes and butt stomps and uh mid jump dash thing and um it's pretty good but it's also very rinse and repeat like You roll into the town and it's covered in fog. You can only access a certain part of it until you power up the first tree and then you collect more lanterns and power up the second tree and then it's fully fine and then you move on. And um, once you've restored life to the village, like the Nezu return and some of them will have tasks like clear the garbage out for me and you'll get a lantern or pop all these balloons and you'll get a lantern. But those same tasks are in every single town and the Nezu will say the same thing every time. And the the, the nezu are cute is, nezu yeah the nezu are cute freaking cute and the ui is very like just placeholder and not good at all um yeah and the i would say the localization is not great um because it, a lot of the text just feels unnatural and the movement is also i wouldn't say it's bad but when you first start playing it like i play a lot of platformers like a lot of them Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very used to like Celeste and Super Mario World where it's very tight controls and even the looseness in those games are tight, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, this game just feels a bit floppy and floaty and weird at first, but by the end of it, I had no time controlling it. Um, 
but it wasn't what I was expecting. So if you check the video on it and you're a platformer player, you should be able to immediately see what we're what Steve's talking about. Yeah, yeah. So there is a video it... on the YouTube channel, so go check it out. Dude, um, but having said all of this, like I think the game is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like it just has such a good vibe. Um, the as as you said, Blue, like it is absolutely gorgeous, especially once you restore light to the land. Mm. And then at the end of the game, they you do fix your airship and it's like does the classic Mario thing where it's like you collected like a hundred of these things, but if you want the real ending, you need to get a hundred more. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have your airship now, so that lets you access areas in each of the three towns that you couldn't before. Um, and like, I literally was just running around listening to the music and just collecting these lanterns. And I don't like the collectathon things, but it was just so relaxed because there's no enemies, there's no combat, you can't die, there's no timers. Um, it's just super chill. And like, in the review, I, I um, compared it to like, mac and cheese from craft like you know it's not the best thing in the world but you love it and you just mm-hmm. feel good about it and that's exactly i felt so good playing this game couldn't stop smiling um took me about four hours to uh get the the full ending of it um so there's 201 lanterns to collect you need to collect 150 of them and that took me four hours so i reckon you'd probably get about five hours if you were mm. gonna 100 percent it because there's you can buy clothes and, and furniture for the home base. It doesn't do anything, but you can just buy that stuff. Um, but yeah, I can see, like, I looked at the Steam reviews before I played it and it was mixed. Um, and I can see why people would bounce off it for all of the issues that I said. Like, it's very rinse and repeat and, like, yep. the movement isn't as tight as, like, AAA stuff. But when you throw in the fact that it's a solo developer who did oh, everything yeah. by themselves Absolutely. except the music um, and it's their first game, like, they were just an artist before this, like, it's really it's impressive. And I just, you know, if it really brought up this thing in me where, I, like, especially as a critic, it's always, what's the best game of a genre? Mm-hmm. Why is this game perfect? Mm. And like, sometimes you don't need that. You just need something that's fun and good for right now. Yeah. And like games, a lot of the time get slammed for not being perfection, but sometimes like you just need a game like this and I needed a game like this. So I really, really liked it. I would highly recommend if you watch the video and you like what you see and you want to just cozy up for an afternoon and play it, I'll definitely put it on your wish list at least. It's only on PC at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's quite Journey, but it gives Journey Yeah, yeah, definitely, a little bit, yeah, Yeah, for sure. Comfort games, right? Yeah. Um, Do you Um, have a comfort game? Yeah, so I think um, Gone Home, for Mm. sure. Mm. I very Mm. rarely play games twice. Like, I'm not that kind of person, and Gone Home I've played five or six times now. Um, That's good. Love that game. Not exactly what you would think of a comfort game, because it's got some heavy stuff in there, but... um, No, no. (laughs) Super Mario World? Weirdly... Like, if I were to pick a comfort game for myself, it would actually be... It used to be, like, Firefall and stuff because I could just log yeah. in and do whatever. But, like, at that time as well, another comfort game for me was TF2. These aren't yeah, comfort yeah, games, yeah. right? But these are games where I can chill out because I just know yeah. it backwards and forwards. Yeah, like, for me back in those um, days, it was Day of Defeat, right? Because I yeah. just played so much Day of Defeat. It was yep. just like, this mm. is... I know this. I'm, I'm, I'm okay at this. Yeah. So, like, when I say comfort games, I do mean that, but I also mean the other kind where, like, Journey was 100% a comfort game. As I played it, yeah. I was just like, oh, Sayonara Wild Hearts. Yeah, this this gives me some Sayonara Wild Hearts vibes. Yeah, I, yeah. I Super Mario World for me is mm. definitely one of those ones too. Don't want to play it um, twice, but I think it's super yeah. valid as an experience. It's good. Um, I started playing Emily is Away 3, which is this kind of interesting, kind of light game, which you are playing, you, you're logging into Face Nook, which mm-hmm. is obviously Facebook, but it's 2004, 2005 mm. era Facebook. And... 
um, you're having these conversations with these people online and like you're learning things via their profiles and like um, you'll get Facebook messages coming in and then you it has like three choices, one, two or three and you click or type the one that you want. And then it will actually make you bash on your keyboard yeah. random keys to type like out the, the response. The, the hacker really cool. website, if you've ever seen that one. Yeah, 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 exactly. I love that site, um, by the way. It's and so like, you'll, you'll get links to, like, you'll be talking to this girl and she's like, oh, what sort of music are you into? Mm. And you can choose between them. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm super into punk. Like, check this out. And it's like a link to their version of YouTube, which looks like YouTube did back then. Like, they've reskinned mm-hmm. it and it actually opens up in your real game's like your real PC's web browser, like not in the game, in your web browser, but it's like a skin and it'll be playing the YouTube video of a song from Against Me, um, which is super cool. And it's got fake comments and everything underneath it, uh, yeah. but it does make it a hard game to stream. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to talk too much more about this because I'm actually doing a Pixel Bytes podcast with Mal Taylor, who is one of the lead designers and she was the lead artist on Orwell, which was also a game about using social media. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be a bit spicy because she has some opinions about this game, oh, um, but I'm only an hour in. I'm personally enjoying it because coming from a small country town, like when I was like 16, 17, all I did was sit on, you know, Facebook and talk smack and send music yeah. around to people. And cause there's nothing to do. I, um, so it's hitting that memory thing for me. Super keen to hear what you both yeah, have to it's say. Gonna be, it's going to be cool. Um, another game that we played a lot of, um, and you played this one too, was First Class Trouble. This is, yeah. uh, like, if you're going to be reductive and, and shitty about it, it's Among Us too, <laughs> right? It's not. Um, it's really not, it's though. It's not. Definitely. Though. It's not that, but, like, I've seen it bandied around, and pretty much everyone who came to watch us stream it last night said the same thing. Um, it's weird. It's a social deduction game, party game, in that Among Us vein that's set in, like, a pseudo-50 sci-fi world where you're aboard a um spaceship passenger cruiser like a luxury cruiser Mm -hmm. and there's a disaster that happens and uh the passengers are trying to band together to shut down the central artificial intelligence network which is called kane um and among them are two personoids which are androids that look like humans who are trying to keep kane on online um and it takes place over three floors and um you go through the decks and the first floor is always your like um passenger quarters and then the second floor is a randomized floor. And mm-hmm. I think there's four or five different ones at the moment. Seems um, right. Yeah. And then, uh, the final yeah, floor server, server room, room, which you can then shut down Kane. Um, it's really interesting. So as the personoids, um, if to shut down Kane, right, it's a bit hard to explain, but to shut down Kane, everyone who is alive by that point has to agree and press the shutdown button together. If among the people doing that, if any of them are a personoid, the personoids win because they just override it. Um, so there's this, I guess, um, incentive as a personoid to just play it straight, get to the end and you'll win. But as a passenger, like if you get to the end of the game and all six of you are alive, you know that there are two personoids, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then to stop you from just standing around and be like, well, we're not pressing the button. Um, there's an oxygen level that is always ticking down and eventually you'd run out of canisters to refill the oxygen. So they would all die and the personoids win. Um, yep. And each floor has passenger logs, which will give you kind of good, but also vague information. So you'll pick up a passenger log and let's say I pick it up. I can then view it and say, okay, the passenger log will say something like among these names, 
one of them's a personoid and it'll give me like four names, right? Mm-hmm. So then I tell everyone that. Um, and some floors have two passenger logs. Uh, so then the other one, like last night we had an instance where it was like among these um, two people, one of them's a personoid. And then it was Macrobat and Waffle. And then someone else found a passenger log on the same floor and was like, Waffle and Hot Rice are of the same faction. Mm-hmm. So if you put those two together, it's like, okay, well, if Waffle is a um, personoid, then that means Rice is also a personoid. Yep. But if Waffle is honest, then that means Rice is also honest. And you start moving these things together. As a personoid, you can sabotage those passenger logs. So they're rushing to try and do that. So if you see someone rushing around to rooms trying to find a passenger log, you're like, are they doing that to sabotage it? Or are they doing that to make sure it doesn't get sabotaged? There's just a lot of moving bits of information in this game that Among Us doesn't have, um, that, you know, uh, Project Winter doesn't have. A lot of these deception games, they just don't have that same sort of push and flow, Hmm. um, push and pull, rather. Um, It is early access, so it is quite rough around the edges. But I think, for me personally, it strikes a really good balance of it's more in-depth than Among Us, which is... Ultimately, why I don't like that game, because I have played a lot of Project Winter um, and also Spy Party, which is a different social deduction game, Mm -hmm. like extremely different. I almost wouldn't class it in the same realm because it is just so its own thing. But what I'm trying to say is I've played these games that have a lot of mechanics to them and Among Us doesn't really have that. Um, Project Winter, which I absolutely adore, that's really hard to get people involved because that game is so based around roles and understanding roles and it's quite advanced in many ways. And like, I don't even know all of the roles of that game and I've played like 15 hours. I think I've spent three games just going, now what am I supposed to do now? Yeah, once you learn that and if you have a group that are willing to play along and get into learning those roles, that game is phenomenal. But it does, it's definitely a longer road. And I think First Class Trouble is in the middle there where it has a little bit more than Among Us, but less of the minutiae of uh, Project Winter. And it has like quite a lot of comedic value to it, but also quite serious. And I think it's really interesting that the Personoids can't just kill someone like in Among Us. Like in Among Us, it's one click and they're dead. Where two people always need to be involved in making a killing blow, whether you are a Personoid or not. Uh, The only way that a Personoid can kill someone instantly is through an environmental trap. So sometimes you can drop like chandeliers or stuff on people or cause like electrical blasts. Yeah, throw someone in the fire, yeah. Or you can get these um, uh, syringes that only personoids can get and they're always in full view on the map. So if someone walks by and sees they're gone, then they know someone's taken it. Um, Or you can get caught taking it Mm. in the the act sort of thing. Um, So it's always a risky proposition. But even if you're a passenger and your group thinks you've worked out who the personoids are, someone needs to grab the target and then someone else needs to activate the kill move while the target is being held. So it's always a group decision um, to to make that happen, which is super mm. interesting, I think. Blue, thoughts on it? I think that it's going to get some attention because of how popular Among Us is at the moment. And some of that will be bad. As we've already seen, they've already released a statement about banning a certain number of players who've received too many reports for, you know, poor behavior. That's going to be a problem. Um, yeah. I think it's a better problem to have, but it's going to be a problem. Because uh, Project Winter has something really nice yeah. about it, that because it's so niche and small, at least at the time that we played, everyone in its community was, like, really fun and good to play with. More yeah, they just to... wanted... Yeah, oh, we can it get was literally going. just, we just want <laughs> right? to get a game going. Like, we, we had... You know, six people out of the possible 10, right, for Project Winter. And the randoms would fill in, and they'd know each other, and they weren't playing together. 
and they just be like, oh my god, this guy, he's just so good at being a, a, a traitor. And and like the you know they were even telling us like yeah you should be watching out for this if you're a trader you should be like watching out to try and do this and it was such a nice learning community which you don't get once you get the kind of exposure that I think first class trouble is going to get so we'll see we'll have to see yeah how it grows it'll be interesting to see how Project Winter is now because it's been on game it, does, it has it's kind been, of exploded yeah. I imagine it's not um, as um kind anymore the, the other issue yeah the other issue that this game and every game in this genre has is that. It all comes down to who you're playing with and the willingness to put on a performance, right? Because you definitely run into this where it's just like instantly, you're the baddie, I saw you do something and just the bullying and like just no sitting on information and just there there needs to be, everyone needs to be into the idea of seeds of doubt and the, the things that happen around that is the fun part of the game. And if people aren't willing to play up to that, and like, I mean, I, th- I think deception board games are exactly the same. Like if you play secret Hitler and everyone's just straight down the nose and not sort of dancing around it, that game is extremely yep. boring and doesn't yep. work, right? There have to be meta rules. Um, yeah, exactly. And like, even we played it a lot on the weekend and then we streamed it last night and most of us had played it quite a bit of it at that point. So then it was like, okay, we did the messing around part on the weekend. Now we're going to have discussions in between each floor and yeah. really narrow down who the people are and really exploit the information that we yeah. can find and do the deduction. And that was 10 times, like I had a lot of fun on the weekend, but last mm. night was 10 times more it- fun. It, it, because there's a lot of decision. And, uh, and for my part, at least, it takes um, quite a mental shift to make that happen. So uh, after the weekend's uh, play session, I kind of sat down and went, I didn't like that. Why didn't I like that? Oh, I didn't like that because I wasn't doing the right thing where I was trying to force conversation. So last night when we played, what I did was when we went into meetings, I would just outright say, all right, we have this time. We have to talk about what information we have. And so, someone yeah. has to force that. Someone yeah. has to be the adult in the, in the group because because you're not going to have <laughs> yeah. the adult in the group. And if you don't have the adult in the group, I think the person always, always win, basically. Yeah, which, you know, that also tracks because last night was the first time we yeah. saw the passengers win and they won more we had time. We had a win where every resident was alive and won. So minimum number of kills, just two and all four made it to the to the end um that that's an amount of trust that's an amount of trust that's hard yeah yeah we had quite a few yeah. good ones last night like you threw the group way off the set so the passengers actually <laughs> yeah. killed yeah all the innocent passengers because a- of as something a personoid at the just the outright game. going no, no 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 i know i i'm resident as a personoid saying i'm resident and i'm okay with you killing me but just keep in mind that this person is trustworthy like that puts the seeds of doubt which caused everyone to kill themselves and run out the oxygen <laughs> yeah it was great or the one where uh i i sowed mm-hmm. some doubt on uh somebody and then the other two people who were not personoids were on one end of the map yeah. and we had the guy i had seeds of yeah. doubt on put him in the airlock got uh no, put one person in the airlock, got rid of them, and yep. blamed it on the person that we had seeds of doubt. Yeah, because so it doesn't matter that someone witnessed it. They that ch- person had mm. no clout at that time. So Yeah, and they were far enough away that they couldn't hear the conversations that were happening because mm. it uses proximity. And then as they threw him in the airlock, I poisoned the guy holding the airlock open, and then it was all done, and we won. And it was <laughs> That was a really clean one. kill. Um, it was so good. I'm, I'm going to yeah. upload it on my highlights because it was, do was it, do definitely it. the best. Um. But yeah, it's early access. It is rough. Um, we had audio issues last mm. night where it was super crackly. We had game dropouts uh, on the weekend. It is its first. I don't. Th- I think they've only done one update. Um, but for me, 
as long as they have the numbers and they keep the development up, like the game is already a lot of fun now. So I can only see it becoming more fun. Hopefully, more most fun. of the cost of development um, is behind them, which is a good. This place is a game be. with a lot of assets in it. To be completely honest, yeah, yeah, it's a great looking game. Um, and versus Evil is the publisher, and they've got a pretty good track record. So I, I think we're in for something pretty good here. Um, and Final Fantasy X, I'm still playing. I got past some very, very rough parts, and I finally feel like I'm strong enough. I'm one and a half chapters okay. from the end of the game okay. and i'm kind of ready to be done good. with it and move good. on but i i hope you have an easy blue what have you played of it. <laughs> me too <laughs> i okay what i've played i've played a bunch of monster hunter rise i'm out of i'm not out of new content i've actually held off on a couple of quests just because i don't feel like tackling them and like who knows maybe i can play them with people if i wait long enough so i'm just grinding for like various mm-hmm. pieces of gear i learned how to play the bow because that's what i do in monster hunter like when i get bored i just start making equipment and learning new weapons and it's been fun i really like it um a mechanics driven player right um other than that magic's um strixhaven uh, expansion hit digital first a week early so i've been dabbling with that not i didn't jump into it as hard as Kaldheim this time um, mostly because i didn't expect it to be so fast um strixhaven's been fun there's a couple of mechanics that are super cool. I I'm not seeing I'm not seeing something yet, and I'm I'm waiting to like explore the cards and see it because I don't I don't follow spoilers and stuff for Magic, so I like to explore the set myself. So it'll yep. take me like weeks up to a month. Um, I dabbled with Hearthstone Battlegrounds. Uh, played some First Class Trouble with you, which is super fun. We also played some What the Dub, which was fun. Yeah, uh, Jackbox style game. Actually, we played some Jackbox on the weekend, which I think is super duper cool. We only oh. played one round of uh, Champed Up, but I think that's a very fun game. Yeah, yeah, Champed Up is pretty um, cool. And La, I I will never forget Corby. <laughs> Corby, always Corby. That, Corby for I felt bad a bit for that one, so I drew a bad Kirby, but I had like I was waiting for the prompt and being like. 50% of the time, no matter what the prompt is, I'm writing, I'm drawing Corby anyway because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I felt a bit bad because that was like premeditated <laughs> Corby. Um, but hey, it worked for the prompt. Like, I, it did work for the prompt. So it did. I, I drew it Corby. Did. Um, th- this horrible MS Paint Kirby. <laughs> I'm very proud of him. He's a round boy. Um... And I played some. We were here together with Waffle last week. We were here together as a long game, like oh, you know, nice. full like three. Yeah, I was gonna say this is like your second or third session. No, 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 no. So, um, the week before we played, we were here two, which is the second game. We were ah, here together right, right. as the third yep. game, and we were here together is much different from the previous. So the free demo is we were here, and the first full game is we were here two, mm-hmm. which really builds on the first demo's style. We were here together is a completely different game to the point where I think. If I'm not mistaken, We Were Here 2 has a file size of like 2 gigs. We Were Here Together is like 10 or 12 gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a lot more assets and it is a bit longer as a consequence yep, yep. of that. Um, we actually didn't finish even a single run last week. So I think we'll be doing that today, uh, tonight, actually. Cool, cool. Um, that's awesome. Exciting. Really cool asymmetrical information co-op game. Um, and I want to highlight this because we're seeing quite a few really good split screen co-op games right now that you play in split screen even if you are at a distance so i think the one that's making the rounds mm-hmm. right now it's, it takes two and i think that game looks fantastic if you're down yep. at some point by the way i would love to play i stopped watching playthroughs of it so that i wouldn't be spoiled on it because i think that game looks legitimately dope um to borrow kids lingo 
Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, we had a way out and Portal Two co-op uh, to some extent as well. Uh, can be split screen and stuff like that. So I really like the way we were here. The series does its information distribution, where it literally separates you very physically and gets you to communicate mm-hmm. that way. Really nice. Yeah, that's super cool. I I love the concept of it, but I don't think my mind is just puzzly enough. We were here. Possibly, I wouldn't sell yourself short. Yeah. It is sometimes as simple as what does this rune look like? What does this pattern look like? Yeah, 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 yeah. I find those games hard though. Like, um, when I'm like, here is what I think is a very simple way to describe this pattern for um, uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. The other person is like, ah, uh, so cat ears and a upside down microphone, and I'm like, what? What is that? That does the yeah, that's, I struggle with that. And that's stuff. the fun part where people are like, that's what are you talking about? Speak English. Ah! That's the good part. I apologize for screaming into the microphone. Anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that covers that covers a lot. It's been a while since we've been on a podcast. We play, we play games. Somehow yeah, we play like, games. It's been busy. It's been busy. Yeah, yeah been, been busy, busy times. Um Okay, so quickly, updates on content that's coming out. Uh, as we said, Tazamachi Behind the Twilight review just went live, uh, so go check that out on YouTube. Uh, we also had a huge piece from uh, Rowan from the Platforms and Pitfalls crew. He did a story about the importance of mobile game preservation, particularly in relation to Chaos Rings on its 11th anniversary. Massive piece of a game I'd never heard of, and I think it's definitely worth going to check out. Pixelsbreakfast.net. Uh, we also have on Tuesday we have a review of First Class Trouble hitting YouTube Tuesday night. That, that's a worth it, right? We're going up there. You, you yeah, said yeah, review. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, yeah, game. it's a worth it. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, worth it because it's an early access game. Is it worth it? If you want a preview of that, yes. Um, so it's going up on on YouTube on Tuesday night. Um, we also have, uh, top 10 games for May coming next week and, um, Valen's still working on fights and tight spaces. He's had a, he just got a new job, so he's been super busy, but stuff's in the pipeline. Stuff's in the pipeline. Um, also go check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash pixels of breakfast. You get a bunch of stuff for only a dollar a month minimum, and it helps to pay some of the contributors that are making the website a possibility. And, uh, yeah, warm and fuzzies knowing that you're helping us keep the lights on. I think that about does it, Blue. Anything to sign off with? Uh, I'm going to apologize for any, like, kind of weird noise you hear on my end from just the past couple of minutes because the rain started. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, it's uh, you got that uh, typhoon coming No, through. I think this is just, this doesn't sound like heavy rain. This just sounds like rain. But it's never rained while we recorded uh, okay. before gotcha. is what I'm realizing. Because my mic is 100% picking it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Sugoi, that's all good. All right, well, with yeah. that, we'll just end it at there. Be Thanks well, for be kind. And as always, absolutely, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. Pixelate your breakfast.